over. <laughs> if you've got a Bible there, turn with me to Acts chapter 1, verse 8. You might not need to, because I'm pretty sure you're preschooled in this verse. Acts 1 8. Acts 1 8 says this. Jesus, speaking to his disciples, he made special mention to them and said, You know what? I have to go to my Father. And when I go to my Father, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. And there are several passages in the Bible that show us how urgent this desire was for Jesus. There was something extremely significant about the Holy Spirit coming. When Jesus hung on the cross, he said these three words. He said, it's finished. In other words, my, my involvement here, the job that I was sent to do is now over. I was sent to die on a cross. I was sent to be that lamb without blemish, that lamb without spot. I was sent to be that perfect sinless sacrifice that you and I can't be. And when Jesus died on the cross, he said, it's finished. In other words, everything that needs to be done for us to step back into relationship with God has been completed. There's nothing else that needs to happen for us to have right relationship with God now other than us accepting by faith what Jesus did was for us. We're left with a situation where we either go, no, it's okay, I'll stand before God one day by myself and I'll take my chances. And hopefully I was good enough. Or we can go, you know what, I'm, I'm, I know I'll never be good enough, so I accept the death, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus as if it was me. I accept his death as him paying the price for what I've done wrong. And Jesus said, it's finished. And then he went on up to the Father. There's this interesting verse in John, the end of John, where Jesus is resurrected and Mary sees the resurrected Jesus, but she sees him as a gardener. You know the story? She goes to the tomb and there's a gardener there. And she says to this gardener, what have you done with his body? Tell me. And the gardener says, uh, who are you seeking? And she goes, you know, I'm seeking Jesus and so on. And then she turned, then, then Jesus says to her, Mary, Mary. And her eyes are opened up and she sees, hang on, this, what I thought was a gardener, it's actually Jesus. It's, it's funny how God sometimes reveals himself to us in the most simple insignificant of ways. He looked like a gardener, you know? And sometimes God comes to us just like in the body of your neighbour. Or sometimes he'll come to you through the word of a child that might come and say, you know, Daddy, you never have any time with me. Or a wife that might come and say, you don't listen to me. Or a husband who might say, can I go fishing? And yeah, and she rebukes it as being the devil. But sometimes God reveals himself to us in the most simple, unassuming of ways. But then he opens her eyes and she sees that it's him. And Jesus says this to her. He says, Mary, don't cling to me, for I have to go to the Father. Don't cling to me. Don't hold on to me. Here's Mary, after the resurrection of Christ, grabbing on to Jesus, holding him, wanting to not let him go. But he's saying, no, no, you've got to let me go now. Because if I don't go to the Father, the Holy Spirit won't come. In other words, it's not me now that's going to be physically on earth anymore, walking with you, guiding you, leading you, teaching you like I was before the cross. Now I'm going to go to my Father and the Holy Spirit's going to come and he's going to continue the work that I've been doing in your life and through your life. So you need to let me go and you need to let the Holy Spirit come and do what the Holy Spirit wants to do. I read that verse in the, in the, in the Greek and, and where it says, don't cling to me, it's literally, don't touch me. And I thought, gee, that's heavy, isn't it? Jesus said to Mary, don't touch me. But the point he's making is this, that, that, that Mary, there's a transition taking place at this time. 
What I've done is finished. I died for the sins of mankind. I'm one person. Imagine if Jesus was still here. Unless you were sitting in the church this morning where he was speaking, you wouldn't hear a single thing from God. But he said, no, I'm going to go and I'm going to send my spirit. And instead of there being one Jesus, so to speak, walking around the world, there are now literally millions of people who are walking, carrying the spirit of God, who are able to walk out into the world and do what Jesus did. Jesus said, when the Spirit comes, he says, you'll receive power, Acts 1.8. When the Holy Spirit comes, you'll receive power when, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you'll be witnesses. I was reading this week, some of you probably have seen it this week too, that American missionary that was killed in the Sentinese Islands. In, you've been following that story. I don't know the background of the guy. I don't know. All I know is I read that story, and as soon as I read that story, my mind went to this verse. I thought, you'll receive power to be witnesses. That word witness in the Greek is the Greek word martus. M-I-R-T-U-S, it's where we get our modern-day word martyr from. You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you'll be martyrs. What did he mean by that? What he meant was this. When the Spirit of God comes upon you, you'll be empowered by God, you'll be dead. In other words, your life will be transformed, you'll be dead to self and you'll be alive to God. You'll no longer go through life the same way you did then before the Spirit of God got a hold of you. In other words, the desires, the passions, the hopes, the dreams, all the stuff that you had before God comes into your world. God says, I'm going to change that stuff. I'm going to give you different passions, different desires. They're going to be the desires and the passions. It says that uh, God prepared works for you in advance. God prepared things before you were born. And when the Spirit comes upon us, what he does is he redirects us, he recalibrates our life, and he puts within us desires, passions, and so on to get us back on track with what God originally put us here for. So we're literally, when the Spirit comes upon us, he says, you'll, die, you, you'll, be dead, you'll be a dead person. You'll be dead to all this other stuff, and you'll slowly be recalibrated, and you'll be the witnesses for me in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts. You'll be called back to being the person that you were. You'll become fully human again. And get back on board with the plans and the purposes, the reasons that I put you here. Notice what he says. He says, you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. I got a couple of phone calls this week, and I'm going to bear myself and be a bit honest uh, with you at the moment. I got a couple of phone calls this week. One was from a guy I know who's got cancer. And he rang me up and he said, Alan, I've got cancer. This is what the doctors have said. And he wanted to talk to me about, they've offered me this treatment, they've offered me that treatment, what should I do? And he said to me this, and, and I, I didn't know, uh, but I'm assuming that he's somewhere found God along the way. We've known him for a while and he didn't know God, but he said, I'm praying. And he said, I've been asking God, what direction should I take? And then he relayed a few things that some people had said and so on. He said, look, I feel like, uh, you know, how do I know which one is God? And so I chatted with him a little bit about how I make those decisions. And I went back to what we talked about a few weeks ago. What's that peace of God where your spirit and the Holy Spirit come into alignment? What's going on there? And he said, well, I feel that peace over this decision here. So we chatted a bit about that. Then I said to him, look, can I, would you mind if I caught up with you uh, later on? And let's, let's, can, I, can we have a coffee or whatever? I'd love to pray with you. And he lit up on the phone and said, oh, I'd love that. That would be fantastic. But you know what's funny? When I said to him, can I pray for you? Instead of my heart being filled with expectation that, that at that moment, God, you're going to do something. Something's actually going to happen in the positive and you're going to change something. If I'm brutally honest with you, I was more thinking that my heart was filled with expectation that probably nothing will happen. But 
Jesus said I'd receive power when the Holy Spirit came upon me. When the Holy Spirit comes upon me, I'll receive power. So the batteries are included. When you get the Holy Spirit, you get the power of God. And here I am in this opportunity of time to, to come on in, and, and I, I, I had a good look at my heart, and I thought, you know what, God, what's happened? I've lost expectation. Once upon a time, I would have... Um, I mean, when we lived in Brisbane, I used to get phone calls from people that I didn't even know that just heard about me through other people and through other churches, and they'd ring me up. This person's in the hospital. Can you go pray for them? And, and I'd go and pray for them, and people would be healed. I'd see healings and, and miracles and things happen. Nothing to do with me. I'm just me. But I had this expectation, this faith that God could do things that were well beyond what, what, what I could do in the natural. And I'd put myself in those spaces and I didn't care if I looked like a fool, didn't care if people laughed at me, didn't care. I just knew if I put myself in that faith space, God would do something. And here I am on the phone. And when I hung up the phone, I thought, you know what? I'm actually expecting to pray for him and see nothing. It's not where God wants me to be. About an hour later, I get another phone call from another guy. He rings me up and he says, look, my son... He's having problems. And this guy, I, I used to know him 10 years back. He says, I, I, I was going through my phone. Who can I call to talk to my son? And I, I came across your name and I, I thought, you. He's suicidal. His wife's left him. He's got a few kids. He's got a gun. He's just told me he's going to kill the whole family and then kill himself. I've talked him out of killing everyone else, but I don't think he's going to make it through the day. Would you ring him up? So I ring up this guy to have a chat with him. He doesn't answer his phone. So then I send him a text message, you know, just not wanting to freak him out. Hi, you know, I got a call from your dad. Da, da, da. And I press send. But if I'm brutally honest, when I examined my heart, I thought, okay, let's say, let's say he picks up that phone and I get to have a conversation with him. Do I have faith to believe that the words that come out of my mouth are going to make a difference in his life? Something I'm going to say is going to impact him to the point of positive change? Or am I expecting that I'll have a conversation with a stranger and nothing's really going to happen. And if I'm brutally honest with you, when I sat back and thought about it, I thought, you know what? I feel like I'm going to talk to this guy, but nothing's going to happen. And I suddenly thought, where's this faith gone, God? Where's this sense of expectation that, God, you not only want to do great things, but you can do great things through ordinary people like us? You know, in the book of Daniel, there's this verse. It says, those who know their God will do great exploits. Those who know their God will do great exploits. And I sat back and I thought, well, God, I know you. But I have no expectation anymore or very low expectation of any great exploit happening. I've got things in my life that I struggle with, that I battle with. Things that I know that God would want me to deal with. And if I sit back and look at it, I think, do I have faith anymore? Is there any expectation in my heart anymore that the Holy Spirit will help me to break free of those things? And if I'm brutally honest, the expectation level has dropped over time. And then I go back and I read Acts 1.8. You shall receive power. When the Holy Spirit comes upon you and I feel like, Lord, I read that and I see that. But somewhere along the line, the expectation level that that's me is dropped. I wonder where your expectation level is at today. Not just for here. I'm not just talking about what happens in a church meeting for an hour and a half. 
Now, this is the, the smallest part of your week. This is not the make or break of your Christian faith. Okay? I like what A.W. Tozer said about the church. He said, the church is a refueling station. He said, where you pull up your car, you put the bowser in, and you fill it up with fuel, and then you shoot off out there for the rest of the journey. He said, you keep coming back, you get refueled, but you go back out to the journey. That's what church is for me. That's what this hour and a half is. It's to get together. I don't have any other context in my life where I get together with a bunch of people that have like-minded faith, that are believing God, that will encourage me in the word of God and encourage me in my faith. The rest of my context out there in the world is not necessarily like this. So I love church. I love gathering together. I love the environment, the feel. I love chatting to people, you know. But what happens out there? What happens with my life when I'm out there? And I realized this week that, you know what? I'm getting more and more opportunity to step into these spaces where God wants to do something. But my expectation level is low and getting lower. And I thought, God, do something in my heart, Lord, because this isn't, this, I don't think this is the way that it's meant to be. I don't think that God wants me to have such low expectation in terms of what he wants to do in my life and in terms of what he wants to do through my life. See, I think we've settled for really low expectations as a church in the West. You know, we, we, we just need the right sound systems and the lights and the bells, the whistles, the nice buildings, all that stuff. If we can get that, then we're cranking. We're really pumping, you know, we're, we're, we're making a difference. No, we're not. We've just got a building. And <laughs> buildings cost money. But what's happening out there this morning? What's happening throughout the rest of this week? What's happening when that person rings you up and says, I've got a problem? Are you diving into it with expectation and faith, going, well, I'm filled with power by the Spirit of God. And I've got something to bring to that space, to bring healing, to bring power, to bring answers. I've got that on the inside. It's not an arrogance, but it's a confidence in the work and power of the Holy Spirit in your life. Do we have that? Do we carry that out there into the rest of the week? So I think we've got an expectation of just having nice things. Maybe we've got the expectation of just being the nicest people in the community. Huh? We are the nicest people in our community because we don't drink, we don't take drugs, we don't dance, you know, we don't, you know, old Baptist thing here. We don't dance, what is it? We don't drink, dance or chew or go with people who do or something like that, you know. We, we, we're good, you can trust us, we're, we'll give you our word, we're, we'll be on time, we're punctual, we're all these things. That's what we are. We're just nice people. That's the expectation level is this, Lord, I come to you. Now make me a really, really nice person. So when I go out there, the world will look at me and say, wow, what a nice person. And we settle for being the nicest person. When we find out somebody's not nice, we're so shocked, aren't we? When we realise, what? You get angry. Oh, my goodness. You should deal with that. What? You, 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 you. You, you rouse on your husband when he wants to go fishing. Oh, my goodness. You need to calm down, girl. Snap. When people aren't good. Because we've lowered this, we've created this expectation where it's just about being good. But don't you feel like we're called to more than that? Don't you feel like when Jesus said you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you'll be witnesses to me, do you feel like what he meant was you're just going to be really good? You're going to be really nice people. That's the expectation I want you to have when the Spirit comes upon you. 
We, we, we've lowered the expectation. We just want to be social welfare advocates. Now I've got nothing against social welfare. Let's help the poor. Let's do all that stuff. But here's my belief. My belief is very simple. I can clothe the naked. They can die without Christ and end up in the same eternity as a person with clothing who denies Christ. That's just my opinion. That's just what I believe. I can feed the hungry and put a, a full food a belly, a, a feed in your belly. But if you still die without hearing the goodness of Jesus, if you still die without bowing to the cross, you'll end up in the same place as a person with a full belly who denies it. That's just my belief. That's just what I believe. So there's something more important for us as a church than just being social welfare advocates. We need to be doing that stuff. We need to be, but there's something more. I don't think when Jesus said you receive power that he said you'll just be really good people and you'll take care of all the social needs of the world. I think he meant something more than that. And I look at this guy, this missionary, who went on, those, on that island, and, and you read excerpts of his, of his, of his diary. He kind of knew that he was going to die. He tried to set foot the day before. They shot an arrow at him. Guess what it did? It went into his Bible. It landed in his Bible. He backed up and got back on the boat and disappeared. These Sentinese people are completely unreached. They're Stone Age. They're still living with sticks and stones and making fire. And they're protected by the Indian government. Nobody goes there. They're so protected that, that these guys, that the next day he went back, believing God called him, he wrote in his diary, I'll probably die. I don't want to die, but I'll, I could possibly die. But I really believe that, that, that these people need to hear about Jesus. So he got off the boat the second day. As soon as his feet hit the sand, the, 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 the boat drivers that took him over, they said a flurry of arrows hit him and he died. The natives dragged off his body. They're so protected that no one will even be tried for his murder. That's how protected this, this, this Stone Age tribe is. Authorities are trying to get his body back. They can't. They can't. This is how unreached this people group is, you know. Reminded me of, of what Jesus said. You know, Jesus said, all these things are going to happen. There's going to be signs in the earth, signs, all this. And then he said, but then he said this. He said, and this gospel will be preached to the ends of the earth, and then the end will come. The very last thing that's going to happen before Jesus returns is everyone's going to hear, and, and look, bang in the news, there's an island that doesn't know. Everyone hasn't been reached yet, and I'm sure they're not the only ones. Okay? But I'm thinking about that guy, and I'm thinking, man, that's, that's, that's what I'm thinking about when I'm thinking about the power of God upon me. Not that I'm saying we should go out there and get shot with arrows. All right? What I'm saying is he's a man that was dead to himself and alive to God, and it didn't matter. He went out there and he did what he had to do. See, I believe this. I believe that martyrs don't feel any pain. That's my belief. I believe when people die for the cause of Christ, I, I believe that there's a grace that comes upon them, a little bit like Stephen in Acts chapter 7 when he's getting stoned, and the Bible says as they're throwing stones, he says, look, I see Jesus right there. I believe there's a grace upon those people, and they don't feel nothing. He was looking at Jesus, he wasn't feeling the stones. There's a grace upon that. But I look at that and I go, you know what, that's the kind of thing that the Holy Spirit does in our life. That to me is the power of God at work. Here's a man... That was prepared to sacrifice his own life to take Jesus to the rest of the world. And yet I'm sitting here wanting to, to, to pray for somebody at work maybe and I'm scared they might think I'm a loony. But this guy would cop arrows for his faith. I don't want to cop a little bit of, you're a weird Jesus freak, aren't you? You're a bit of a nutcase, aren't you? I'm scared of that. None of that's going to kill me. You receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. In Acts chapter 5, verse 13, it says, Yet none of the rest dared join them, but the people esteemed them highly. This is speaking of the church. Then it goes on in verse 14 and 15 and 16. 
And it says that there were healing signs, wonders, miracles. The power of God was flying. And in the midst of this kind of a church, the people outside the church looked upon them and said, wow, there's something about them. We're not going to touch them. We don't get it, but we esteem them. We lift them up. And so they wouldn't join them because of the power of God that was flowing through this group of people. I know there are people today who won't come to church this morning in our community. It's certainly not because they esteem us. It's certainly not because they go, wow, there's something going on there. We don't get it and it's so holy, we're not going to touch it. That's not why they don't come to church. I wish it was, but it's not. They've got other reasons why they don't come. They see too much garbage on the news, read too many newspaper articles twisted and turned. And... But it's certainly not because they look at us and go, well, we really respect that space they're living in. We don't get it and we won't touch it. But they don't come for other reasons. You receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. You know what? I think we live with this low expectation because we just don't get it. We don't understand that the Holy Spirit inside of us has that much power. We don't understand the possibilities and the opportunities that are open to us. When we lived in, in Brisbane, we lived in a place called Pasco Street in Mitchelton in Brisbane. And we'd just come back from India and we lived in this place. And cut a long story short, we, it used to get mould on the roof all the time. And so we would, we would uh, clean it and it would come back. We'd clean it, come back. One of our boys, Johnny, he got mould on his chest. And that's how bad it got. So we eventually went to the real estate and said, look, we've got to get out of this contract because it keeps coming back and our kid's sick and they wouldn't let us out it. So we went to the rental tribunal. We learnt our rights and we got out of that contract. One of the big mistakes they made was a guy came to have a look at the roof. He got up in the roof, popped his head up and he said to us, you know, that whole roof is so full of mould, they have to lift the whole roof off the house and redo the entire thing. He made the mistake of telling us that. So when I went to the real estate and they said, no, no, you can't let you out, blah, blah, blah. I said, well, yes, you can, because here's what your guy told me when he got up in the roof. What? He shouldn't have told you that. So well, it doesn't matter whether he should or shouldn't have, he did. And you need to let us out of our contract. We got out of it. We're down here in Brisbane and Jackie gets a phone call one day. Ring, 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 ring. She picks up the phone. It's the federal police, the FBI. Hello, are you blah, blah? Yep. Did you used to live in Pasco Street in Brisbane? Yes. <laughs> what have we done? Can you give us any reason why there's a million dollars of casino chips in your roof? Jackie told me that. The first thing I thought was, damn, missed opportunity. <laughs> if I had have known... <laughs> If I had have known the value of what was in the roof above me, if I had have known what was there for the taking, maybe my life would be different today. Maybe I would have a boat. Maybe I would have my house. Maybe I would not be here. I'd be on a chalet in France somewhere. Who knows? A thousand dollars. They were stolen, unfortunately, but I'm just dreaming. I'm just dreaming with you. I had no idea the value of what was sitting there under that roof with me. And I think that's a good picture of some of us. We have no idea of the value that's resident within us right now in the person of the Holy Spirit. Jesus said you'll receive power when the Spirit comes upon you. And yet we live with such low expectation. Many of us live with the same expectation after we get saved that we had before we got saved. What we couldn't change, what we couldn't do before we came to Christ, we still think we can't change. We still think we can't do. We live like nothing's changed. Like our life is just another version of everybody out there, only we go to church on Sunday in heaven when we die. I don't think that's what Jesus wanted when he said, it's so desperate, stop clinging to me, Mary, you've got to let go. My job's finished, I'm going. I'm going to send the Spirit to inhabit everybody that calls upon my name. And when you get the Spirit, you get the power. We're waiting for something else to happen. 
We get the Spirit. We get the power of God. The problem is we don't believe it. Many of us don't believe it. Go with me to Mark chapter 6. Mark chapter 6. I want to show you something. Many of us think that just because God wants it to happen, it'll happen. Who thinks that? Just because God wants something to happen, it's going to happen. I read an interesting passage this week in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 10. Let me show you what I read. 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 11 says this. Just after Paul wrote into the Corinthians, just after he tells them, you all remember the Exodus story. You remember how Israel followed God. You remember how he led them out of Egypt. Remember how he parted the seas. Remember how he fed them, how he did all this stuff. And then they denied him and they fell away and they tempted God and all this stuff. He goes through this whole story of the Exodus and here's what he says. He says, now all these things happened to them as examples. All these things happened as examples. And watch this. They were written for our admonition or our instruction on whom the ends of the age have come. In other words, what he's saying is what happened back then was, was, were our examples for us today and they're so important that the Holy Spirit made sure that Paul, when he wrote that letter to the Corinthians in the New Testament, he made sure that he wrote that down because for you and me today, that situation, that story is an example to us. A whole generation missed out on what God had for them because they grumbled, complained and did not believe. So they missed out on what God had. You see, God always gets his way, always. But God is patient. And if he's got to wait for another generation, he'll do it. He will do it. He will let you wander around. He will, let, he, will, he will plant a church. He will call people together. He will say, this is why you're here. This is what I have for you. And we go, that's awesome, fantastic. We begin the journey all excited. Then we go, hang on, I'm really happy now. I've got my building. I've got my sound system, a great screen up there. Look, we've got LED lights now. Let's power on those big suckers over there. We've got nice chairs. The carpet's beautiful. Thank you, Daniel. We've got aircon now. We've almost made it. What else? We only need a couple of little things and we have made it. We're a church. Woo! But I sit back and I go, but God, where's the power? Where's the power? And you know what I think? God sits back and goes, well, it's resident in you. Where's the expectation? Where's the faith? Where's the desire to see this? Where's the reality in the embracing of what's in you and what I've done for you? Where's the people who will be martyrs? Where are the people dead enough to themselves to say, can I pray for you? Dead enough to themselves to say, can I speak to you? Dead enough to themselves to say, can I help you? Where are the people who realize that what I've done for them is not just save them so that when they die, they go to another place, but I've saved them and I've filled them with my spirit for now. You don't need the Holy Spirit power when you get to heaven. There'll be no sickness, no disease, no crying. There'll be no pain. There'll be none of that. That's when we get there. It's for now. The Spirit of God's upon us now. Here's what happens in Mark chapter 6. And this is, this is amazing. Mark chapter 6. We all know the stories. Jesus goes to his own hometown of Nazareth. Starting in verse 3. He goes in there and he teaches and they're all amazed. And here's what they do. They say, is this not Mary? Is this not the carpenter, the son of Mary? And the brother of James, Joseph, Judas and Simon. Are they not his sisters here with us? So they were offended at him. Verse 4, but Jesus said to them, Prophet's not without honour except in his own home country among his own relatives and so on. Verse 5, now watch this, he could do no mighty work there. Didn't say he didn't want to. Nowhere does it indicate he didn't want to do something. He says he could not do any mighty work there except he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. 
And he marveled because of their unbelief. I think we're a twisted world because I'll tell you what right now, in the Western church, if, if someone laid hands on someone and saw a few minor, and in the Greek it means a few minor ailments, like a sore toe and a headache. Mate, we see that happen in church, we would, we would think it's revival. We are so devoid of the power of God in many places now, we would call that revival. And the guy that did it would be writing books, selling CDs and touring around the world, talking about the migraine he healed one day when he laid his finger on somebody. And we would put him up on a pedestal we would think this guy's abnormal. When God's up there in heaven going, hang on a second, you're missing the point. That should be normal. That's what I've called my church to. That's what I've called my people to. Once upon a time, way back in the book of Acts, that was so normal that the society esteemed them and went, wow, geez, we don't want to touch that because something's going on there and it's... They used to bring sick people. So they're just the shadow of one of the disciples would go past them. They would bring handkerchiefs. And pray like some of these things are a bit out there and they seem a bit weird, yet this is it's it's written here. Now here's what amazes me about this story. There's God wanting to do something and he couldn't. Why? Because of the unbelief of the people. Because of the expectation level of the people, the very power of the Holy Spirit was halted. Because of man's expectations. Where's your faith level at today? For God to do what he wants to do in you. And also, where's your faith level for what he wants to do through you? Are you like me? When opportunity presents itself, you look at that space and you go, I'm going to step into that space. But even if I step into that space, I have no expectation that anything's going to happen. Well, guess what? That expectation has the ability to stop what God wants to do. Jesus wanted to heal people. He could only heal a few minor ailments. And he was amazed at their unbelief. These things are written for our examples in, in, in Corinthians. These things were written for our examples about a generation that walked in what God had for them, but fell and missed out on reaching the destination because of what? Unbelief. I, 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 I think about myself and I think about our church and I go, God, don't let us be a group of people that just settle with low expectations of this. Oh, we're, we're Christians, we gather, we've got nice people, it's all great. I want to see the power of God at work. I want people to walk in here that don't know God and I want them to feel the presence of God. I want them to say, you know what, I don't get it, but there's just something about that place. There's something about those people. I want to be able to talk to guys like this man that wants to take a gun and shoot his wife and I want to talk to him and know and believe that the Holy Spirit will speak through me words of life, words of healing, words of restoration to him. I want to know that when I go to my friend's place and I lay hands on him and I pray, I want to pray for him with an expectation level that says, God, I want you to, you can heal this guy and I want to release healing and I want to see God do something. So here's the problem with unbelief. If unbelief can stop Jesus from doing what he wants to do in that situation, then here's what happened. Unbelief made the decision, not God. Unbelief made the decision not to heal. God didn't make the decision not to heal when Jesus went to Nazareth. Jesus wanted to heal. Unbelief made the decision. Faith is about giving God permission to make the decision. Faith is about God, I'm creating a space here, a faith space where you make your mind up. You decide, God. Nowhere in the Bible did Jesus ever rebuke anyone for too much faith. But I can show you passages where he had a word to people with too little. These guys, the Bible says they were offended at him. They were offended at Jesus. And because of their offence, their faith level just went straight down through the roof. Just in closing, maybe for some of us, 
We need to raise our expectation levels a little bit. Maybe we need to believe God again for things. You know, for the people at Nazareth, it was offence because they were offended at Jesus. We knew who Jesus was, so we didn't expect him to do anything. He used to play with our kids. We, we knew his parents, so we got no expectation. Hey, God can speak through a donkey. God can touch you in your bed at night. If God wanted to, one of those pieces of cake could jump up and preach to us right now. That's the reality. If he can make a universe, that can happen. I'm not saying he's going to do it. And maybe some of you have seen that, but maybe you should think about what you're on before you saw that. Point being, God can do that sort of stuff. God is God. Amen? Where's their expectation level at? These guys, because of offence, their expectation level is down. Maybe yours is down because of a lack of understanding. For some of us, a lack of understanding brings our expectation level down. Well, you need to get into the Word of God. You need to find out what does God say about life here on earth? What does he say about sickness? What does he say about offence? What does he say about uh, being oppressed of the end? What does he say about the situations of life? What does he say about poverty? What does he say about hunger? What does he say about these things? Let's get into the word of God. That's what Jesus did in Nazareth when he, when he marveled at their unbelief. The very next verse says this, then he went about the villages in a circuit teaching because he realised they've got unbelief I need to teach. And maybe for some of us, our lack of expectation is because we need to get into the word of God and see what it says about some of these things so we can raise our expectation. And realise that, you know what, the power of God is in us for a reason. Life can be different. Sometimes for some of us, other people have killed their expectation. Maybe you've gotten passionate about things. Maybe you're the guy that wanted to pray for everything with two legs and a heartbeat. And people just said, tone it down, calm it down. Well, again, I'll say to you, I don't see Jesus telling those people to calm down so much. But I do see Jesus saying to the others, why don't you tone it up a little bit? Pray for someone, do something, for goodness sake. Show me, show the world that your faith means something to you. Show the world, show me that you have some semblance of expectation that I'm real and that I I am the guy that created the universe and said, let there be, let there be, and there was. Just show some semblance that you understand that when you got the Spirit of God, you got power. A supernatural, dynamis, dynamite-type power on the inside of you that's given to you for a purpose. Don't wait till you die, you won't need it, then you need it now. Start moving with it, start using it. Maybe for others, your expectation level has gone down because you haven't seen things happen. Last week, we, were, we, we, we sadly announced that Michelle passed away. We've been praying for Michelle and her cancer. Now, she had a greater miracle. She gave her heart to Christ. She reconnected with God about a week or so before she went into eternity. So I know that she's up there in eternity now and she's with God. That's a greater miracle. Now, why did she not get healed? I don't know. But here's the thing. I have no right to stop praying for people because she didn't get healed. I have no right to stop preaching the gospel to people because not everybody bows and gets saved. I have no right to do that. I've got the power of God upon me. I'll keep praying for cancer people. I'll keep praying for the sick, even though it might not happen every time. It doesn't matter. John Wimber, who started the Vineyard Church Movement, John Wimber said that he he got this revelation of healing one day, and so he started opening up the front every Sunday. If you're sick, come forward. And his people would get up by the droves and come forward, and they'd pray week after week after week, and nobody got healed. No one was changed. He said he prayed for over 1,000 people in their church service before they saw the first healing. Over 1,000 people. Over 1,000 people getting up, showing faith after faith after faith. And after 1,000 people, somebody got healed. And the rest is history. He went on to teach signs, wonders and miracles. Their church got known for healings. Their church got known for the supernatural. He travelled around the world and taught about it. Not in a weird, sort of charismatic way. He was a very down-to-earth, very fatherly figure type of guy. But again, I love the conviction. He got into the Word of God said, God, you said you'd do this? Okay. It didn't happen, I don't care, God still said. Didn't happen, I don't care, God still said. Didn't happen, I don't care, God still said. I'll make space and I'll keep going and going and going and going and going until I see God do what he wants to do. And that's the attitude, that's that attitude of faith that we need to have. 
We need to raise our expectations because God's got more. I took Caleb to a football game years ago when I bought some tickets when he was a little kid. I picked him up from school. I'll finish with this story. I picked him up from school one day and um, he was so adamant that he wanted to go home and sit on the lounge in our house and watch the Bulldogs versus the Cowboys. It was, his team was the Bulldogs back then. Uh, no, he doesn't support them anymore. He's had about 17 sits. But he was supporting the Bulldogs back then. And he was so looking forward to coming home that day, Friday night football, watching that game. Me and Jackie, behind the scenes, we come up with another plan. We went and bought two tickets, uh, one for me, one for him, and I was going to take him to the game. It was being played at um, the Gold Coast. And so anyway... I went to the school and I picked him up and I got there early. I said, oh, God, the teachers, can you get Caleb? He came out and said, what's up? I said, I've got a, I've got a meeting at the Gold Coast. You have to come with me, mate, because mum's, um, mum's busy and she can't pick you up after school. And I could see in his face, he's going, hang on a second, hang on. Um, but but I, but I want to watch the football. What, what? But being the good kid he was, he went, okay, Dad. He jumps in the car with me, we drive along, we're getting up the, to, to, towards the Gold Coast. And we're driving along the highway and I turned off towards near Rabina there where the ground was. And he goes, uh, sorry, it was Carrara, I think, back then when they first started. I turned off the highway, and uh, I'm turned off the highway, and I'm heading down this road, and you see the, and he point, looks across, goes, oh, Dad, look at that, is that the grounds? I said, yeah, yeah, that's where the game's been played at, mate. And he goes, oh, okay. He still didn't get it. So I kept driving past one street, then I turned down another street and went, hey, let's, why don't we see if we can get a bit closer to it and have a look and see what it looks like. He said, yeah, okay. So I drove a bit closer, and he's still not getting it. And then I end up going, oh, why don't we go into the actual car park and see if we can get out and have a bit of a look. And there's a guy there with his thing directing cars in. And I turned in and he still didn't get it. I parked the car, I turned the engine off and he still didn't get it. I got out of the car and said, oh, let's get out and have a bit of a look around. And he still didn't get it. We got out of the car and I said, oh, hang on, go back to the glove box and can you get the envelope out of the glove box in the car? So he goes back, he opens up the glove box, he gets the envelope out, he comes over to me, hands it to me. And we're walking towards the gate and he still doesn't get it. So I said, look, can you open that envelope, please? He opens up the envelope and he looks and he goes, oh, Dad, that looks like two tickets to a football game. And he still didn't get it. He still didn't get it. I'm thinking, oh, really, Lord, what have I done? You know, what have I done wrong? I said, Caleb, we're going to the game. Are we going to the game? Yeah! Woo! So we went inside and we watched this football game. We had a fantastic time. We got to see all these heroes up nice and close. I was impressed with how big their thighs and legs were and, and how small mine were as his dad. He pointed that out several times, but that's another story, another moment of healing I need. But here's the thing. His highest expectation was to sit on a lounge and watch the game. That's his expectation. That's all he wanted. And you know what? I feel like if I translate that spiritually, that's probably where many of us are at. Our highest expectation is to sit on the couch and watch what God is doing, to sit on the lounge and watch from a distance and read the stories and to, 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 to know that over there or over here or somewhere, all these other places, other people, God's doing things. We, we might read the stories in, in magazines and so on like that. But our Father's going, come with me, come with me. Because my highest is not that you sit on the lounge and you watch it. My highest is I want to take you there. I want to put you in the action. I want to take you to the ground. I want to give you a ticket. I want you to be up close and personal with what I'm doing. We need to raise our level of expectation. I'll leave you with this question. I've asked Luke to put it up on the board there for me. I'm just going to leave it up there as we finish. How is life different for you and the world around you because of the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit in your life. 
How is life different for you and the world around you because of the presence of the Holy Spirit in your life? Let's raise our expectations, guys. Let's raise our expectations. Father, I want to thank you for this morning, Lord, and thank you for the death, burial, and the resurrection of Jesus. Lord, I thank you for the power of the Holy Spirit that's upon each one of us, God. Father, there are people in this room and we're scared to step out in faith. Lord, there are people in this room and and we know that there are moments where you lead us and you call us to say something, to do something, to be somewhere and we rationalise it and we don't do it. Father, there are people in this room right now that have heard your voice. You've given them dreams. You've given them visions. God, you've called them to something. But they rationalize. They look at themselves. They weigh up their own abilities and talents and go, no, can't happen. And Father, I pray for each of us in this room this morning. Holy Spirit, stir something up in our hearts. Lord, you said that when we receive the Holy Spirit, that we would receive power to be your witnesses here on planet Earth. God, you said our life would be different because you're in it. You said that when the Spirit of God came upon us, Jesus, you said that we would do the things you did and we would do even greater things than that. Not because we're wonderful, but because you are in us and because you are with us. Father, raise the expectation level in our hearts. God, raise the expectation level. Stir faith. In our hearts, God, to believe you for the supernatural, to believe you for the miraculous. God, put us in places, lead us to places where we need you, where if we don't trust you, where if you don't come through, then we're just going to fall on our face. God, challenge us, Lord. How many areas in our lives right now are we living in that space? Or are we just living within the confines of our own abilities and our own talents? Holy Spirit, stir us up, do something in the hearts of every person, God, whether they're here today or not, that calls himself a member of Arise. And Father, I pray in the next seven days as we go from this place, God, give each one of us an opportunity to tell somebody about Jesus, Lord, somebody that doesn't know you. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, God bless. Have a great week. Again, we're going to wait up the front here. If anybody wants prayer for anything, we'd love to pray with you. Um, other than that, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, subdue, be fruitful. As in, I'm not telling you what to do when you get home. I'm just saying, you know what I mean. <laughs>